you grab a Bible, they're uh, right in front of you in the chairs in front of you. If you did not bring your own, or if you're in the front row, it's underneath you. And turn to page 1201, which is Romans 8, uh, verses 12 to 17. Let us pray. Holy Father, we praise you for your word. Lord, teach us this morning. Lord, may these not be my words, but your words. And Lord, that our hearts will be changed leaving this place today. We thank you for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8, verses 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word. You may be seated. So as you, uh, you guys know me well enough, I love superheroes, but I also love good bad guys. Well, in you know, the Marvel Universe, Loki is one of the best bad guys in the Marvel series. And Loki, an Asgardian, you know, get, gets to live in Asgard. And yet, we find him struggling because he starts to find out who he is. You know, Asgard defeated the evil frost giants. And there, Odin saved this baby and brought him back to Asgard. Who is Loki? Well, in time, as Loki figures out who he is, he realizes he's different. And he starts to try to manipulate things so he can get to be the king of Asgard. And yet, at the pleadings of his father, Odin, and his brother, Thor, Odin continues to say, you're my son. I love you. This is yours. Thor and you are my sons. And yet, he had a hard time believing that, and so he continued to live as an enemy of Asgard, just like the people that he was rescued and saved from. I share that because sometimes we struggle in our adoption. We struggle as being followers of Jesus Christ. Because sometimes we think of our past, and we think of who we were. Think, am I really different? Did God really adopt me and save me? So if we're sitting here this morning, if you have confessed you are a sinner, that you deserve God's displeasure, that you deserve eternal punishment because of your sin, but then if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus took on himself our sin, that through faith in him, we can have eternal life because he died for us on the cross. 
if you believe this with all of your heart, you have been adopted as God's children. You are a son or daughter of the living God. Now, just because we make that declaration, just because we are adopted into God's family, it doesn't mean we don't struggle with our past. We don't struggle with the family we used to be part of, the world. We struggle every day with sin. For many of us, it's a different sin every day. For some of you sitting here, there's a habitual sin that you're dealing with on a regular basis. And sometimes in dealing with that sin, we question, am I really one of God's children? Or maybe we're struggling with relationships. Maybe you're at odds with your spouse. Maybe you're not seeing eye to eye with your children. Maybe you're going through difficult family circumstances. And we question, am I really one of God's children? Or maybe you're struggling with the direction of your future. You're not getting good grades in school, college. You hate your job. You don't get along with your coworkers. The career you're in, that's not what you plan to be in. And you don't see anything in the future of where you'll be where you thought you would be. And so you question, am I one of God's children? And there's other areas that cause us to ask that question. Sometimes it's dealing with health concerns and health issues. Sometimes it's dealing with identity, dealing with depression, anxiety. Sometimes we think of the doubts and the questions we ask about, is God real? Does he care for me? Is he really in control of all things? And so when we think of those doubts and questions, we start to say, am I really one of God's children? Now, many children who are adopted at some point in their lives ask, why me? See, a, a child who is adopted has no power. Their adopted parents choose them. Their adopted parents make them a part of their family. Now, on one hand, it's very exciting. Somebody loves me. Somebody cares for me. Somebody wants me and has invited me into their family to be a part of that family. Yet for some, when they see how different they are, when they see some of the struggles they start to have in their own lives, they question, am I really part of this family? Do my adoptive parents really love me? I know in my life, I've struggled. I've struggled as an adopted son of the living God. That's not because God did anything. But as I look at my own struggles with sin, as I look at some of the ways I've messed up in relationships, I look at difficult circumstances in my life, my life I, I've questioned, does God love me? Am I really one of his adopted children? And it's passages like I read this morning in Romans 8, that encouraged me in those times. They assured me that God is my Father, that God does indeed love me, that God indeed cares for me and is there for me, no matter what I think, no matter what I feel, no matter what I am going through. He's there. And so my prayer is this passage will encourage us as God's children, that we'll trust in His promises, we'll trust in His love for us, my prayer is also for some of us sitting here, right now you're living as an orphan, somebody that's not in God's family, that you can learn to trust in God 
as your father, that you can be adopted into his family through knowing and believing in Jesus Christ and what Christ did in dying for us on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, that through faith in him, we have eternal life and that we indeed can be adopted into the family of God as his sons and his daughters. So I want to give you three declarations from our passage here in Romans 8 that gives, God gives us regarding what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to be adopted as his children. Verses 12 and 13 is declaration number one. You are a debtor. A debtor is someone that owes something uh, to an entity or a person. And Paul here, he's writing to Christians in Rome, and he's saying, we are debtors. Paul is putting himself in that same position. We owe something. Now, there's a little word, so, as we begin this passage, and that so connects the previous section. Verse 11, we see that the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in each of us as followers of Jesus Christ, the spirit that gives life to our mortal bodies. In Galatians, it says the spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, an inheritance we don't deserve, an inheritance you don't earn. It's given as a gift. And God did that for us. And so we are indebted to him. Now, of course, it's a debt you can never pay back. There's not enough works, not enough things you can do to earn what God has given us, the gift that he has given us, the eternal life that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet some of us sitting here this morning, we're going to try our best, and you are trying your best to earn it thinking you can do just enough to pay it back. And yet you can't. So Paul says two things about this being in debt. He says, you are not indebted to the flesh. He says that explicitly. He says, if you try to satisfy the flesh or live as a slave to the flesh, then you will die. Yes, we're all going to die physically, but you're going to die spiritually you will be separated from God. Why? Because living as a debtor to the flesh means you are living like the world and living according to the world's standards. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. James 4, 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then in Romans 1, just to summarize what that says, it talks about the wrath of God that falls upon all who are enemies of God, who trade the truth of God for a lie, lies of the enemy lives to live and be like the world. And Romans 1 says they deserve to die. That's God's word speaking. That's not us standing in this pulpit and saying, don't live like the world. The Bible's giving us a higher standard, what it means to live for the Lord and not as an enemy of, the God, of God by living 
like the world. So we're not, in, we're not to be indebted to the flesh. Rather, we are indebted to God. Through the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Now, that doesn't mean we're never going to struggle with sin again. We struggle with it every day. Every day we're tempted. Every day we fall into some kind of sin. That's our struggle this side of heaven. Which is why we need the Lord to strengthen us, to help us to see the truth and how to live according to the truth and that we cannot do it alone. That's why we need to hate our sin. We need to confess it to the Lord on a daily basis. We need to ask him to strengthen us to stand against the passions and the desires of our flesh, our selfishness, our pride, our lust, our desires to lie and cheat and get ahead, whether it's in work or relationships or financially, and the list can go on and on and on. We are only truly alive if we are living as people who are in debt to God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if we are in Christ, we're a new creation. The old man is gone and has passed away. It has died. And the new man has come. The man who is God's child, living not as a man of the flesh, but a man in which the Holy Spirit dwells. And as you continue to read in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, it calls us to be ambassadors for Christ. We represent not ourselves. We represent not our past, but we represent God. And we share how he's reconciled us. We share that message of reconciliation. We share how we can live as a people who are indebted to God. And we live that out by proclaiming that truth, by sharing that truth of what he's done for us. That is life in the Spirit. It's living for our new family. And most importantly, it's living for our Heavenly Father, the one who adopted us. We need to tell people about him. And so the question we have as we go to the second declaration is, are you living as one who is a slave and indebted to the flesh, to this world? Or as you sit here this morning, are you somebody who's living as one who is indebted to God, who's living life according to the Spirit? One leads the life. The other leads to death. So we come to verses 14 to 16, the second declaration. You are a child of the living God. Now, if anybody's ever heard any clips, and I'm not expecting anybody to admit that they've watched any kind of daytime TV, but you can think of that show where you heard the phrase, you are that father, or you are not that father. In the Maury show, Maury regularly invited women onto his show who were convinced that their man, whether it's a boyfriend or husband, is the father of their children, and yet the man is coming on the show because he's saying, not me. And then being emphatic that he's not the father. And they sometimes show a picture of the child sitting in the back room, and you have to think, what is that child thinking? The man who they think is their father is going out of his way to convince the talk show host, to convince the audience that they're not the father. What goes through the mind of that child 
who's always thought of that person as their father. If we're children of God, the Father, he doesn't treat us that way. Now God would have a million reasons why to deny us as his children. When we think about our sin, our rebellion on a daily basis, how we don't spend time with him in the word. We don't spend time with him in prayer. For many of us, we'd rather work in our yard, work on our car, scroll on our phones, play games, and do a variety of other things rather than spend time with him. Or we never talk about him. We don't talk about him with our fellow Christians, let alone talking to people who don't know Jesus. God would have every reason to say, you? Who are you? I don't know you. You don't look or act like me. And yet that does not characterize our Father. That does not characterize God. Despite our daily struggle with sin, God forgives us over and over and over again when we repent of our sin. Why? Because he's our Father. He loves us. And his love is unconditional. And that's awesome when you think about how wicked and rebellious we can be. When we think about how we are prone to wander, as we hear in the song, Come Thou Fount. Verses 14 to 16 affirm to us, we are God's children. We don't have to doubt it, though some of us will. Some of us get so focused on ourselves. Some of us get so focused on the performance mentality of our faith that we doubt whether we're his children because our performance just is not measuring up. We're focused on ourselves. But yet we hear what God says about being his children in verses 14 to 16. It says, if you're led by the Spirit of God, then you are sons of God. Are. You have received the spirit of adoption, of adoption as sons. It's a guarantee. By that spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father, And then it says, the Spirit, big S, meaning God the Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I mean, those are incredible promises that gives us hope that we can rest and we think of our salvation, that we don't have to doubt, because God has adopted us, and God is not going to turn around and then reject us. So how do we know we're being led by the Spirit? As that first part says, God has opened our eyes to his truth. We can understand because the Spirit enables us to understand spiritually discerned truths. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says the natural man cannot see God's truths. So the fact that we can see and understand means the Spirit is the one who's already working, helping us to understand those truths. James 16.13, or John 16.13 says the Spirit will guide us into all truth. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's God through the Spirit. And I think of the life of David. Here's David, a man after God's own heart, a man who God chose to be king, a man who decided to have an affair with a woman and have her husband killed. And as he's confronted with his sin, the words of God given to Nathan the prophet. What does David do? 
He repents. He confesses his sin. Now, he had to deal with the consequences of his sin, but we see how the Spirit was leading and guiding David even in the midst of his rebellion. In the midst of his sin, God was sharing with him the truth and opening his eyes to what he was doing. He was being led by the Spirit. And so the promise here is if we are being led by the Spirit, it says, you are sons of God. And the second thing it says, we've received the spirit of adoption. Not a fear. We don't have to question whether we're God's children if we believe in Jesus with all of our heart because we, we are his children. We don't need to fear when we sin, when we go through hard times. That fear is not of the Lord. But the spirit is in us. The spirit is the one who moves us to cry, Abba, Father. We cry this truth because we know we're His. We cry that truth when times are good, when we're excited, when we're rejoicing in who God is as our Father. But we also cry that when we see friends and family, when we see a world that rejects God, rejects who He is. We see a world that's lost without hope. And yet, we are filled with hope. And we can cry, Abba, Father. We can cry that when we're disappointed with our own sin. We can look at ourselves and say, I've done it again. I've rebelled again. I've sinned again. And we know God's displeased with our sin. And yet, we know he loves us. And we can cry, Abba, Father, in the midst of that struggle. And so the spirit of adoption enables us to cry with confidence that God is our Abba, Father. And the last piece there, we can see that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God reminds us of our story. He reminds us of our testimony. He reminds us of the ways he continues to work in and through us. It's amazing how quickly we forget how in the midst of a struggle, how in the midst of a sin, in the midst of hard things in our lives, how quickly we forget what God has done in our lives. And yet, the Holy Spirit reminds our spirit of what he has done. The Holy Spirit serves as that reminder to us, that deposit that's dwelling within us. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to question, what has God ever done? And it's amazing how God uses his people who will encourage us and say, thank you for how you taught me. Thank you for how God has used you in my life. And those serve as reminders of what God is doing in and through us. So the question for us here is, are you a child of God? Can you cry out, Abba, Father? The Spirit's in you. You are his children. You are his child. Period. Exclamation point don't have to doubt that. Then verse 17 gives us declaration number three. You are an heir of God. I mean, think about the declaration so far at this point. First, he says, we're debtors. We're indebted to God because of what he did for us and sending Christ to die for us on the cross. Then he gets a little more personal. He says, and you are sons of God. You're his children. You're part of his family. You have a place in that family. 
In the final declaration, even more intimate and personal, he says, we're not just debtors and children, but we're heirs. Heirs of God. And even better than that, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. What's an heir? It's a person inheriting and continuing the legacy of a predecessor. As heirs of God, through faith in Jesus, we inherit the kingdom of God. It's ours. We'll dwell there forever. That's the promise to each of us as followers of Jesus. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples he's going to prepare a place for them and that he will come back to take them to be where he is. And then as you read in that passage, it says he promises not to leave them as orphans, but to send the Holy Spirit spirit to guide them. He's preparing for them what will be their inheritance as heirs and as co-heirs as we dwell with Jesus there. Now, this doesn't mean we become gods. It doesn't mean we are equal with Jesus, but we get to dwell with him forever. What is his will also be ours. And that's awesome to think about. And the second part of that definition of being an heir is that we continue the legacy of the father, the legacy of the predecessor. That means we tell, we teach, we proclaim to others what it means to be part of this family, what our father has done for us, what our father has given us, because we want his kingdom, not our kingdom. We want his kingdom to grow. We want other people to be part of that family, to go from being orphans to adopted children of the living God. Now, there's a little part we miss in here in Romans chapter 8. It's embedded right in that verse and what it means to be an heir of Christ. Now, sometimes I don't think we miss it. I think we just don't want to think about it. We don't want to admit that as something that's part of being an heir, a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is the part that says uh, we are called to suffer. We're called to suffer. Now we question that. Does God really want me to suffer? If God really loves me, he wouldn't let me suffer, right? I think the opposite is true. It's because he loves us so much that he allows suffering into our lives. He allows it in there to grow us in our faith, our trust, and our dependence upon him. And there's verses that will affirm that we're called to suffer. John 16, Jesus says to his disciples before he's betrayed, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 1 Timothy 3, 12 to 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people, imposters, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And circling back to Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I love how scripture just fits together to see the consistency of the teaching throughout the Bible. None of us wants to suffer. None of us wants to go through those hard times. But we see clearly here, if we are to follow the example of Jesus, he left us an example of how to suffer and how to do it to his honor, to his glory. And as we've been studying through the book of Revelation, we've seen the end is going to be tough. It's going to be hard for those who follow Jesus. There is going to be suffering. Again, seeing that consistency of Scripture. But as followers of Jesus, we suffer with hope. We have an inheritance that waits us, that will not fade, that will not decay. Hope of glory, hope of eternal life. So I want to bring this whole picture of our adoption as God's children to a conclusion with a quote by the late Tim Keller. This is what he says. The image of adoption tells us that our relationship with God is based completely on a legal act by the Father. You don't win a father. You don't negotiate for a parent. Adoption is a legal act on the part of the Father. It is very expensive and costly only for him. There is nothing the Son does to win or to earn the status. It is simply received. May we be encouraged with this truth when it comes to our walk with Jesus. May we encourage others who are struggling with their own adoption as children of God. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a Father who loves you more than any other earthly father could ever possibly love you. And he's looking forward to the day when he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. That's not your hope today because you haven't believed in Jesus, because you're still living in your sin and refusing to admit that you have a need, a need to know Christ and experience his forgiveness. Well, that hope can be yours today. You can be adopted as one of his children today. I want to encourage you, talk to somebody before you leave. I want to share with you that hope we have in Christ. I want to share with you just how awesome it is to be one of his children, to have experienced that forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy, and to be an adopted child of the King of Kings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done in our lives, for so many people that are sitting in this room who've been adopted by you. Lord, not because of any work we did, not because we've earned it, because you desired to make us your children. But Lord, we also know those, those sitting in this room who are still trying to work their way to heaven, thinking they can do enough, who don't want to admit that they have a problem, their sin. We're going to try to go it alone. And so we're living as enemies of you. Lord, do a work in their hearts. Help them to see our only hope through knowing, trusting, believing in Jesus and what he did for us and dying for us on the cross and raising from the dead. Knowing through faith in him, we have eternal life. Give them that hope, Lord. Bring them into your family as your adopted children. So, Lord, we praise you 
that we can lift our voices to you. You are our God. You are our King. You are our Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.